You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Scott Rickens, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Wilner, and this is the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, this is BC Krigaski, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Dave Sawyer, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. What's up next? Where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc. Good to be back on the show, and we have a really interesting question today that is near and dear to my heart, and the question is, what does book writing have to do with financial independence? And we have four guests who are all authors who are going to share their opinions and their insights on what is writing books all about. So we'll start off with Scott. Can you give us a quick introduction, please, sir? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Scott Rickens. I am the author of a book called Playing With Fire, and uh, I'm also making a documentary under the same name. We can't wait to see it. I've enjoyed the book. Looking forward to talking to you more. Andrew, how about you? Can you give us a quick intro, please? I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. I'm a neurologist, and my most recent book is The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenants. That topic has come up a lot on our podcast, so I'm looking to hear more about that. Dave, can you give us a quick intro, sir? Yeah, uh, I'm called Dave Sawyer. I've written a book called Reset, How to Restart Your Life and Get FU Money. And it's the first UK book to translate the US financial independence movement to a UK context. Fantastic. I'd love to hear that. And BC, can you give us a quick intro, please? Hey, I'm BC Krigowski, and I'm also a physician. And I'm currently writing a book that is a frugality deeper dive for high income earners because a lot of times we're so used to throwing money at things, we don't know how to be frugal. All right, so I'd like to start with a question I'm going to throw out to the whole panel. I remember the moment I heard about financial independence, and it was actually reading a book called The White Coat Investor by Jim Dolly. And I'm going to start with Scott. Scott, do you remember how you came across the financial independence movement? I do, very vividly. Uh, And it's covered in the book as well. In fact, I think to some extent, uh, that's what the book's about. And I remember like it was yesterday, I even know the day, February 13th, 2017, I was driving to work 
you know, taking the normal 20 minute commute. And I was a huge podcast fan and I was listening to Tim Ferriss podcast because I was feeling quite trapped in my life. I felt like, you know, this paycheck to paycheck lifestyle wasn't ending, even though we were increasing our income and working hard and stressed out and doing all those things. And so I was trying to find ways to side hustle or, you know, increase my income. And so I was listening to Tim Ferriss for inspiration, listening to, you know, world-class leaders and things like that. And he introduced Mr. Money Mustache. And actually uh, what piqued my interest was one, the name, which was a little bit wild. And two, he said, you know, you are one of the top five most requested guests I've ever had on this show. And I'm sorry that it's taken so long to get you on. Welcome, Mr. Money Mustache. And I thought, I've never even heard of this guy. And he's a top five requested from the audience. And I felt pretty connected as an audience member. So that really piqued my interest. And then he said, and he's living on $27,000 a year and he's retired. And I was like, what? That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm super interested. I need to hear more. By the time I got to work, I was so intrigued that I came up with an excuse to be late to work, pulled over to the side of the road and listened to the whole thing. And it really hit me right across the eyes. I mean, right between the eyes. And I remember going home that night, super excited to just get to know more about Mr. Money Mustache and what this thing is that he was talking about. And through the next couple of weeks, yeah, I dove into every single blog post and that took me down the rabbit hole of all these other amazing people. And all of a sudden I was introduced to this amazing fire movement and you know, the rest is history. Dave, was it the same for you? Was it a podcast? Was it a blog? How did you hear the movement? I think it was 2015 for me. I'd set up in business on my own after leaving. I was head of office in a big city for a global PR firm. But as time went by, I was really thinking that this probably what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and probably wasn't too happy in my job. So I set up on my own um, and then went off at all sorts of tangents, including transforming my PR practice from traditional media relations to a sort of more digital aspect. So as part of this process, I got very into search engine optimization and I got friendly to some extent with a guy called Cyrus Shepard at Moz. Anyway, I was looking at LinkedIn one day and he'd decided to set up on his own and he, he said that the tone of voice of his new venture would be something between wait but why and predictably Mr. Money Mustache. So that's again where it began for me. And then I Googled Mr. Money Mustache, binge read tens, scores of blogs, hundreds of blogs, and then went off at loads and loads of different tangents. So for me, I guess in a roundabout way, it all began with Mr. Money Mustache. Andrew, we're hearing the same thing, right? Tim Ferriss, Mr. Money Mustache. For you, was it a physician blogger? Was it Jim Dolly or Physician on Fire? How did you hear financial independence? Uh, it was Physician on Fire. I don't know how I found it, but how I got there... I was kind of in a privileged uh, situation is I've always managed to earn just a tad more than I needed and never really paid a lot of attention to uh, understanding the financial world because my father was a CPA and I just let dad manage everything. He's a guy of great integrity and honesty and we we're very close as like I had no interest in any of this stuff and I would just, you know, offload it to him and he always did the right thing. Then dad suddenly died <laughs> two years ago at the age of 90 and all of a sudden it was like, yikes. I better uh, figure this stuff out. So I started browsing the internet and looking for more uh, financial information. I stumbled on Physician on Fire and I really uh, started learning a lot. 
BC, does this story sound familiar to you? Somewhat. We had a little bit of a different path to our lean FI number. A book actually changed our lives. It was Your Money or Your Life by Robin. And I remember clearly where we were when our life changed. We were on a hedonic treadmill. We had the two Dr. McMansion in New York, and we were both working way too many hours. And we went to one of my friend's wedding in Germany in 2009. And this book appeared in my house and we decided to take it on the trip with us. And we both read it during the 10 days in Germany. And we literally came back. We put our two Dr. McMansion on the house. We sold it and we moved to Florida. And, you know, we'd been living off of one income. This was 10 years ago. And we just continued to go down that route. I read the entire Mr. Money Mustache blog from start to present day on a, one of my sabbaticals during a maternity leave. And here we are. So Scott, I feel like there's this tension, right? Because we have Vicki Robin and even Jim Daly in the sense, and we're talking about books, but it almost feels like old media, right? I mean, you heard about the fire movement through a podcast. Andrew heard about Physician on Fire. Dave saw Wait But Why. I mean, are books relevant in the sense that nowadays people are consuming media in a much different way than they did back when Vicki Robin wrote Your Money or Your Life? I'd say, you know, on one hand, the trends are obvious, right? You know, a podcast, a blog, a YouTube channel, that's going to be the future. That is the future. That is the present. That is now. There's no doubt. But at the same time, I mean, come on, a physical book, you know, you can't beat a physical book. And I think it's really valuable. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think there's something about the book writing process. There's something about the the medium itself that it has this sort of special value that a podcast may not be able to provide or a YouTube channel wouldn't be able to provide or what, you know, whatever these new mediums are. And I think, you know, the other side of that is you can always do an audio book, you know? So when you have people driving to work and flying in an airplane and maybe they just don't want to bring a book or, you know, books aren't their thing. You still have an audiobook. So I don't think book writing is going anywhere. There's something about the process and the medium to me that creates a sort of magic. And I've met so many people who have found life altering information through books. So that would be my answer to that enormous question. I have to agree with Scott on that. I have to say that books are still very much relevant. Uh, They are growing in the audible books and obviously podcasts, everyone talks about them. But as far as like amongst my group of friends, we all read books, a lot of them. And we all recommend books to each other. And we're always texting each other the name of books. We're loaning books. Every time we meet up, we have two or three books that we've borrowed from each other and we're constantly passing them back and forth. So I think books are not going anywhere. I do think, however, it's how do we own those books, whether in the form of an Audible book, a Kindle book, or a print book that we want for reference. Yeah. And I think that the other thing that we have to give credit to a paperback book is that you can take a highlighter to it, right? You can dog ear that thing and you can come back to it. You can think about it and research some things and come back and then continue on. So that's something that, you know, isn't as easy to do with a blog or a podcast or something like that. So I think there's all kinds of sort of strategic little hacks that a book can give you that these other mediums can't. I think they'll always have a place. As a writer of four books so far, I certainly hope that books aren't going away. But I think Brenda's right. I think that book sales actually are increasing despite all of the other ways that one can read on the internet, for example. And I think a book is a little different. You know, on the internet, there's just this huge spectrum of uh, information. But in a book, you have uh, usually a single author or maybe two who have some sort of uh, track record and credibility. And that 
that book has been uh, vetted by reviewers or other readers. So I think it has a little more weight, you know, word for word than, uh, or at least it can, than something you find on the uh, internet. Yeah, it took me, I mean, I took a year off completely off my job to write my book. And I've been blogging for five years now. And with the best will in the world, and I put a lot of effort into my blogs, you know, they're your first pass at something. Whereas a book, if you spent a year on it, or you spend a few months or whatever, it really is your best shot. It's what the best things that are in your mind. So I think it's always worth spending the time to read a book. And in terms of my financial independence journey, yes, I've listened to podcasts, I've read loads of blog posts. I read, you know, for two hours a day, maybe blog posts. But it's the books that I've read, like Bill Anko's book, Jacob Lund Fisker's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which has its detractors, but it's still a good book. Vicky Robbins' book, they're what really formulated my thoughts on financial independence. And throughout my book, I'm certainly quoting a lot more books than I am blog posts. So it might be a personal thing, but I, I think it's, it's the author or the creator's best shot, a book, whereas a podcast or a blog, yeah, it, it's inspirational, but it's not the fully formed thoughts. Yeah, to your point, Dave, I just saw a video. It was a tour of Jack White's recording studio. And they are, I believe they're one of the only places uh, in the country who are still recording on records. And the way they've got it set up is it's sort of a one take, takes all kind of setup. And Jack was saying that, you know, back in the day, that's how they did it. You'd have to go in, you'd have to perform that song from start to finish. They didn't have Pro Tools. They couldn't go in and edit these songs. And, and you know, Jack White is a purist, if you know anything about him and his work. And they felt that those old school recording sessions have some of the most amazing magic in them because there are little bits of mistakes. There are little bits of just something a little off. They're not perfect. And so there's something so magical and beautiful about not being perfect. But the other side of that is, is the artist has to go in and essentially, you know, almost like have an out of body experience and, you know, pull from something that cannot be explained to perform like on that level. And to your point, I think the same thing happens with the book. I'll never forget the feeling of letting it go you know, of saying, okay, I guess we're done. There's not one more word that we're going to change here. Oh my gosh, I hope it's okay. I hope we didn't make some huge mistake. I'm so scared right now. And that fear drove me for that. It took me a year as well to write the book. And that fear drove me so hard every single day. And I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And yet I'm so happy I got to go through that process. To bounce off of what Dave and Scott said, they touched on this. There's actually a book out there called The Art of Essentialism. Jillian from Montana Money Mustache talks about this book and I read it. And there's an idea in there that you test and scale what is working and what isn't. So my blog, when I write about finances and frugality and everything, I go in and I look, okay, which ones have been shared the most on Facebook? Which ones have the most comments? Which ones are hitting the most nerves or viewed the most? And I use that to base building a book off of is what resonates most. And the only way I know how to do that is from reading the book, The Art of Essentialism. And just coming back on what Scott said, that feeling of getting your book out there. Well, I self-published, so I did everything myself. So I had that exact same feeling, but little did I realize that it just continues. <laughs> so I'm seven months after publication now. And so, for instance, I've been on a few podcasts. Each one I'll flick through the book. And I'll perhaps notice that I've used the same word twice in two separate paragraphs. 
So on I go to Amazon and upload the new version. Do you know what I mean? So as a self-published author, you get a lot of control. So yeah, it sort of never ends in a bad and good way. So Andrew, I'm I'm interested in this idea of self-publishing. So I self-published two books in my life before this as a physician. And there's always something about having a publisher actually accept your book as opposed to self-publishing. Does it feel different? Have you self-published? So I published four books. Two of them were with a traditional publisher and two of them were self-published. So so I have a pretty good, I can tell you those stories. And there is a certain amount of validation from having a real publisher. But as the marketplace has kind of evolved and there are so many books, unless you're really a, a big name, the publishers have not been doing a lot to promote authors. And the publishers always have their own idea about what your book should be. Uh, They have their own marketplace specialists, they have their own editors based on their own experience, which may or may not coincide with the book you want to write. So in my first two books, which were about epilepsy, that's my specialty. The publisher had a sort of niche for those and we worked together and it was fine. My third book is called Bullets and Brains and it's a collection of essays that I had published on Medscape. There's over a hundred of them. So I curated them, I updated them, I put them together. But what I found was that a traditional publisher wasn't interested because they had already been published and were available if you searched them out. And uh, although Medscape was willing to release the copyright so that such a thing was possible, they wanted it to be kind of their baby. So it was very hard to get a a real publisher, a real publisher to uh, invest in that. So I said, well, that's silly. I'm going to publish it myself. And then I discovered that there was a lot of uh, freedom because I could do it exactly the way I like to do it. So my next book about locum tenens, I researched it quite a bit. There was no book. There's a lot of online information, most of which comes from the locum tenens agencies. And of course, that's, you know, it's like pharmaceutical information. It's coming from a certain point of view. Much of it's very, very good. But there was no really full length book about it. I said, well, this This is something I know a lot about. I've been doing locum tenens since 1982. I have a lot of experiences. And I interviewed a lot of other locum tenens physicians, so it wouldn't be just mine. And then I walked sort of a potential doctor through all the things they need to know. And actually, that also drove me to this financial independence thing because part of being a locum tenens physician is being self-employed and managing your own finances and planning your retirement. Nobody's going to do that for you. You're just a free agent out there and you got to figure it out. And I think actually that was part of what sort of got me deeper into the uh, FI community. When I pitched the book to an agent and uh, I also pitched it to another publisher, you know, it's like, I'm sure Scott has had this experience. What they want to know is who's going to watch it and who's going to buy it? You know, how much can I sell? And uh, so I said, well, there's a million physicians in the U.S. And uh, there was a survey that showed about 10% of them had an interest in locums. So that's 100,000. And I figured, well, maybe, you know, 1% of those are going to buy the book. So that's a thousand. So that wasn't really interesting to the publisher. They, for a traditional publisher, 3,000 is really the bottom of what they're willing to consider. So I thought, well, I think this is a book I want to write. I think it fills a niche. It's an important book. I'll publish it myself. And it went through a lot of iterations. You know, as you write something, at least 
the way I work is originally I had 99 chapters. I condensed those to 20. You know, what's really important? What's the voice I want to have? So it's very satisfying. And I'll show you the cover. The viewers won't be able, the readers won't, listeners won't be able to see it. But the publishing agent that I use, they provide you a cover. But I designed the cover myself. I hired an artist to paint it. The way we went through about eight versions before uh, she got it right. But it was my book. It just came out in January, and I'm very proud of it. I'm excited. And uh, it's gotten some great reviews on uh, Amazon. So it's very satisfying as an artist to do something yourself. But you got to promote it yourself, and that's one of the reasons I'm here. So, Brendo, as I'm listening to Andrew talk and we're thinking about what publishers are looking for and prospective audience... I sometimes wonder if we're losing something. For those of us who grew up dreaming of being an author, we dreamt of writing literature, right? And it seems like the business of bookmaking and the business of bookselling, it almost doesn't matter the quality of the writing. Tell me, have you felt that disconnect when you're going to write? I know that you do some uh, young adult fantasy as well as writing about personal finance. Is there room for creativity in literature or is it all about who we can sell it to? I think that there's a lot of room, but I think you have to sit down and look at your goals. And, and I have to say, I was listening to Andrew talk. I actually finished that young adult book that uh, you know about at one first place in an unpublished statewide Florida competition. So being actually finished tomorrow morning and then next week I'm sending it out to agents. But bear in mind, I've been working on this book for four and a half years to make it publishable, traditionally quality. And, you know, I, I've poured my heart and soul into it. I talked to agents about it. I've had multiple editors look at it. So I do find fulfillment there. But at the same time, there's part of me that, you know, like every physician who went to medical school, I want to help people. And I hear my girlfriends, all my female physician friends, agonizing and struggling over the same repetitive issues. And we talk about these at our get togethers. And I'm like, you know, what if I wrote a book that would help them get their finances under control while still being high earners, but not throwing quite as much money at the problem, like having an acceptable quality of life, but being able to save money so they can retire earlier or work part-time like we do. I think what you just said, there's a big parallel in today's medicine. When you talk about the quality of writing and talk about the quality of medicine, the quality of the interaction versus how many patients can you see, you know, so that there is an emphasis on quantity. You know, when uh, the manager of your office comes and talks to you and says, well, you know, did you do well today? They don't want to say, oh, yeah, I made this great diagnosis on this guy that had headaches and I think he might have, you know, a meningioma. What they want to hear is, oh, yeah, I saw 28 patients this afternoon. So it's a completely uh, twisted towards the uh, financial part. And being a writer, I think, uh, you know, if you want to write a novel or something like that, I would say when I heard the title that writing a novel or a book is not the path to financial independence. That is so true. And I have to say that uh, the financial book I'm working on for high income earners, I actually plan to traditionally publish that to get it out to the physicians who need it. Because I know that if I tried to traditionally publish it versus self-publishing it, 
I'm looking at a year and a half down the road before it's on the bookshelf. And I want people to be able to have it now to change their lives now so they can have more control over their lives and lead the life that they want to live. So it sounds like, Scott, that there are different ways to publish and a different speed that you go at depending on what you're writing and what you're publishing. Do you consider yourself a writer or more a teacher? Is your content instructional or do you feel like it makes you kind of the writer of old, the people we used to read in English class? I like to think that I'm aiming more for inspiration, not really teaching per se, but more inspiring. I do consider myself a writer. I was actually a journalism major in college. And while I've been in the video production world for about 10 years, there's still a lot of writing that goes along with that, whether it be voiceover copy, proposal writing, all kinds of different things that I've been able to kind of flex a bit. I haven't you know, gone the traditional route of you know, starting with a blog, flushing out ideas, and then creating a book about those ideas. But I also kind of, I'm a bit of an odd, odd man out here with my path to becoming an author. So I feel like a very very lucky writer in some regard. You know, I was able to land a publishing deal. And to be honest, like that's not because I'm this amazing writer. It's because I had a movie backing the the potential book. And so the publisher was interested in that, of course, because we would probably be able to hit a minimum 3000 threshold when you've got a movie to market a book. But, you know, at the same time, it's not all luck. I mean, it was very intentional how we approached the entirety of the project. I wanted to create a multimedia effort because I wanted to try to hit as many people as I could wherever I could. And luckily, that's sort of my background is content creation. And so for me, a book made a lot of sense. And I I did think about it pretty thoroughly before I pulled the trigger because I didn't know what I was getting into, but I kind of knew that I needed to be careful about what I was getting into. As an avid listener of Tim Ferriss, he's, you know, uh, an author, very proud author, and uh, it's speaks a lot about writing. And I remember him saying something along the lines of, if you think you want to write a book, then you need to know that you have to get this idea out to the world and nothing else is more important than getting that idea out to the world and give yourself at least one full year uninterrupted to make that happen. If you can say yes to those things, then maybe you should consider writing a book. That kind of stuck out to me like a humongous warning sign to be very thoughtful and careful about that effort. And you know, to do it in tandem with making a movie, I knew for a fact that I was in for one heck of a ride. But you know, I was very fortunate in that I've had a lot of support on all of this. It hasn't just been me. I had a a wonderful ghostwriter help me with this book and not a lot of people have that opportunity. And, uh, And so I'm very grateful for that. And I understand how lucky I was to have that. My writing partner, she's also uh, just an incredible friend of mine. Her name is Emma Petit, and she is just a wonderful writer. She's a wonderful organizer. Anyway, it was a very, very fun experience for me. It was a very creatively um, inspirational experience for me. So anyway, I'm very grateful for the position I'm in on that front. But yeah, like, you know, going back to what everybody's been talking about as far as uh, self-publishing versus normal publisher, I think to some extent, you know, you've got this feeling, I'm sure a lot of first-time writers are thinking, I just got to get this idea out there, really want to do this. And then another feeling on the other side saying, I need to start, I need to start somewhere, I need to get going on this, I want to try, I want to do. And gosh, do I relate to that. And so I understand the self-publishing side of things. I And and as an entrepreneur, I appreciate it. And we also considered that route as well. But I think for me, uh, you know, no 
knowing that we had the opportunity to go with a traditional publisher, we knew there'd be some pros and cons. And, you know, the pros being, hey, you've got somebody that has done this before, has been in the arena, who can get it out to various bookstores and, you know, kind of knows how to market a book, knows how to sell a book. And we thought, okay, that's great. But more importantly, they know how to write a book. And I had never written a book. So for me to have that hand holding me along the way was more important to me than, say, profit. And, you know, the number one goal for me is trying to get this idea of the fire movement out to as many eyeballs as possible, because the way I was hit across the face with it, I just wanted to pay it forward to try to hit as many other people when they were least expecting it. And so I thought that going with a publisher would give me the best chance to do that. You know, like there's been some cons mentioned as well. You know, you, you may have to give up creative control. Luckily, my publisher, New World Library, has been wonderful. They've been very supportive and nearly hands off on the creative side, but have given me some amazing feedback and things to think about in our approach and our angle and things like that. So I was very lucky. I know some of the, I've heard some stories from other publishers where that's not maybe the case. And they're very focused on how can we sell this? How many people are going to buy it? And how do we formulate the story to make that happen to, to reach that goal? And that's not what our goals were. But we were very clear about that up front. So one thing that I wanted to mention, because my assumption is, is that people listening to this who are getting excited would be first time writers or, or early on in their process. We wrote uh, about a 40 page proposal to the publisher. And what we did was we assigned, you know, here's what we think is going to happen, right? Here's what we want to write. Here's who's going to want to read it. And here's what it'll look like. And we, we gave like, I think three chapters as a sample. You know, I would recommend to anyone who's even considering writing a book, instead of thinking about it as I'm going to sit down and start writing a book, I would sit down and write a proposal. Even if you're not going to go with the publisher, write it to yourself, if anything, because you want to propose to yourself why you should write this book, who it's for. And I think ultimately that'll give you a lot of clarity on your direction. It'll give you a lot of clarity on, on the path moving forward. And it might give you the enough clarity to take it to the right publisher, you know, do your research on the types of publishers that are out there and who would be the best publisher for your book, for that content, and who's going to be your best partner. Maybe by then you've got a nice proposal, you can take it to them and, and see what they think. Scott, you said so many things that I uh, agree with. I'm going to pick up on a few of them. I, I had a conversation yesterday with my local rabbi who told me that he wanted to write a book. So we sat down for an hour and we talked about this. And uh, the first thing I told him, I said, is a book is a big deal and it's a big commitment. And I agree exactly. If you don't think it's the most important thing that what you say is so important that you're going to spend a year to do it. And it's going to be a priority item. A book does not get done in your free time. That does not happen. My last book, I was working full-time. Well, actually full-time and a little part-time because of locums. took me three years to write the uh, locum uh, tenants book. And then I told him, you know, we have to decide on a proposal. The way I explained it to him is, what do you want the reviewers to say? Think of it backwards. Your book is done. What do you want them to say about your book? That this is so creative, that it brings new ideas, it's inspirational, or uh, you don't want them to say, oh, this is the same old stuff I heard 20 years ago, right? So what is it that you have that's personal and that's new that makes this a book that people are going to want to read? And I also wanted to congratulate you on your uh, marketing skills, putting it together with uh, the multimedia, that's, that's a great approach. That's a great idea. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. As I'm listening to all this, I'm starting to wonder, like, are writers born or are they made? It sounds like it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a huge amount of work. I'd say during the 10 months that I was writing it, then editing it, then formatting it, etc., etc., I was working 50-hour weeks. So it is, you know, if you really, really want to go for it and, yeah, produce a -a once-in-a-lifetime piece of work, the best work, something that will really influence people, you've really got to put your back into it. Now, are writers born or made... I mean, I had an advantage because I, again, like Scott, I was a journalist and then I moved into public relations, which is essentially telling stories for clients. So I've been writing for 20 years and then became a blogger, etc. So I, I had a lot of practice at it. But I think for me, it was, I set up an email newsletter four years ago. An email newsletter is like a cozy fireside chat rather than a blog, which is more out there, I find. So I guess I found my voice through doing this newsletter. And during those four years, my book changed from one thing to another and gradually grew more ambitious. So 
I think if you're interested in writing, you have to really practice writing. I don't think you're born a writer. I think just like anything, it takes a hell of a lot of practice. And then eventually you've got to go for it. I mean, Scott was saying about you can't just sit down and start writing a book. I totally agree. It took me three months before I put pen to paper. So my research phase was October to November uh, to December of 2017. And it was only then in January that I started writing the book. So of the 10-month process, because I'm adding on two months uh, once it launched for marketing it, of the 10-month process, only two of those months were spent writing the book. So it's not writing a book is not just about writing a book, if you know what I mean. There's a lot more to it than that. I think writers are both born and made in that they're born with the desire to write. However, you know, like if you read Malcolm Gladwell's, some of his books, you need the education and the practice. And I've spent 10 years going to workshops and taking classes and taking part in writers groups just to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I've written enough books because I've written quite a few books that are sitting in the garage and on my hard drives, but they'll never see the light of day. And I wanted to recommend, I was listening to Scott talk earlier about the proposal and and Andrew, and I really wanted to recommend any writers out there to pick up the book uh, by Catherine Sands called uh, The Perfect Pitch, and it gives you very detailed instructions on how to write a traditional proposal. Again, that's Catherine Sands, The Perfect Pitch. And if you're trying to write a book in less than a year, which it is possible, I'd highly recommend the self-published book from 2K to 10K, and it's produced by a woman who had to figure out how to write more efficiently because she was about to have a son. And that book has made all the difference in the world. I actually use a spreadsheet to track my writing productivity based on the book 2K to 10K. Just to piggyback off of uh, this idea of whether a writer is born or made, I think about any skill set. I don't necessarily know that anyone's born with any particular skill set. I think they might be born with a propensity for that skill and an interest for that skill. But a skill is developed no matter what. You know, I mean, I think any skill that's not instinctual, right? And I think a good writing is not, I don't know if it's instinctual. I think there's so much work that goes into becoming a great writer to having these ideas. You have to have lived, you have to have the experience to have something to say. So I don't think anybody is necessarily born a writer. You absolutely have to make yourself a writer like any other skill. But if you do feel it in your gut that it's something that you want to do, I mean, by all means, go for it you know, I can speak a little bit to marketing. And I, I do think it's important. You know, I think there's always that dilemma of selling out. There's always this dilemma of, you know, you want your art to stand up for itself and nobody should touch it and anything like that. That's all fine. But I think you, you should think about your audience because otherwise you're sort of just writing it for yourself and you're hoping other people kind of come along, right? And that's fine. You can do that if you'd like. If that's your goal, if your goal is to paint a picture and hang it up on the wall for anyone that happens to come into your house to see, then that's, that's what you're doing. But, you know, but if you're serious about this and you want to write for a living, well, then you absolutely should be thinking about marketing. You should be thinking about your audience. You know, first of all, how can you separate yourself and put something out into the world that needs to be out in the world? You know, the, the first question I asked with the movie because the movie came before the book. The first question I asked about the movie was, does this need to be made? And am I the person to do it? And I thought about that long and hard before I decided to take the first steps because, hey, has anyone else done this? Am I adding to the conversation or is it more noise? And if I decide to do this, should I do this? Am I going to create, you know, the first piece, the first movie about fire? And if I do that and it's mediocre or poor, but if that disincentivizes somebody else to do it because it's already been done, that's a detriment to 
my goals, right? Which is to support the fire community. And so I think it's a really good question to ask yourself. And that's probably more functional for sort of like the nonfiction kind of side of things, I'd say. But ultimately, thinking about your audience, what do they want? How can you serve them is a really good way to start thinking about your marketing. And then the last piece I'll say is something that I've kind of kept in my mind through this process, because, you know, I'll be honest, it was a pretty ambitious endeavor, what I've taken on here. And, you know, it's been kind of insane. I won't get into that right now. But what I will say is that I've kind of kept this idea of the thousand true fans at the forefront of everything that we do. And I love this. I think I, I don't remember the, the author, but the idea is, is that if you can find a thousand people who absolutely love with what you do so much that they will talk about it with others, then you will find success. You will find traction. And traction leads to, I would say, to building something and to, to creating a foundation that you can build off of. So think about, you know, when you're thinking about your idea, think, are there a thousand people that I I could convince to be so excited about this that they would tell someone else. And if that's the case, then, then you probably do have a good idea and you probably should make that thing. So Brenda, I want to talk a little bit more about the why of book writing. One of your first blog posts pretty much said that every physician should write and how that relates. And specifically, as you move closer to financial independence, how that'll affect your life. I think that every physician has stories in them because all we do all day long is listen to people tell us stories. And it's a natural part that we're just absorbing these amazing life stories. And we've learned so much that, you know, I learned from my patients that are 95 and they teach me things and I feel like I can be their voice and I can continue their knowledge and pass it on to other people. I think that physicians are just natural born storytellers, but we also have a lot of learning to do too. I think that why writers write are becoming a writer. I think that surely writing is a craft. It's hard work. But on the other hand, I think the passion to want to do it in the first place, I think people are born with that. I think it's like people who are born with a, an artistic talent. They can paint or sing or they want to dance. There was a great movie. Uh, oh, it was the name of the boy who, who was born and all he wanted to do was dance. He was born to this blue collar family. They didn't understand dancing and he becomes a ballet dancer, which was like the most absurd profession from his father's uh, point of view. But he was just born with that. And I think writers, because it's so hard, uh, even if you talk to professional successful writers who are selling millions of books, they'll tell you that it is hard work. So just to want to do it, I think you have to be born with that. I think it is passion and you have to be creative. You have to have a lot of drive and determination because you might be listening to these conversations and thinking, oh, that's quite romantic, the writer's life. But it, it's not very romantic sitting down 50 hours a week, you know, working away for 10 months. And I don't know about other people, but occasionally, you know, it's quite solitary. So you, you end up really, really struggling with the day-to-day the -day monotony. So there are times writing a book where you just think, oh my God, I've really bitten off more than I could chew here. I wish I hadn't bothered. But at the end of it, it's superb. So I think also there's ego, as I think a lot of the reason people blog is yes, they want to help people. Yes, they want to give away stuff for free. It's enlightened self-interest. Few people do it for the money, but I know there are some financial independence bloggers who make a good living from it, with one obvious example. But I think it's about recognition because if you write a book, you know, just the planning, the proposal, I mean, I had um, eventually a 114 page, which was absolutely ridiculous, outline 
which I've then got down to a, a six-page outline. But the thought and research that goes into that is immense. And you want to get your sort of worldview across. And ultimately, when it comes to recognition, you sort of want to be recognized for the, the genius you think you are. So I think there is a lot of ego with writers, but ultimately, you cannot write a book for fame and fortune. You've got to be absolutely passionate about the topic you're covering, certainly when it comes to nonfiction, which is the sort of book I've written. Scott, Dave begs the question then, I mean, can anyone potentially write a book? Sure. Anyone can write a book. It just depends how long it's going to take them. I feel that that's an easy question to answer by saying yes, because sure, you can write words on pages and create a book out of it. And these days with self-publishing, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You can make that happen. Is it going to be worthwhile? Again, is somebody, does it need to be out in the world? Is, is there going to be an audience? That's a whole nother question. And I think that's the more important question. If you look at the number of people who say they want to write a book, and then you look at the number of people who have started a book, and then you look at the number of people who have actually completed a book, it's one of those uh, upside down uh, pyramids. The number of people who have actually completed a book is a lot smaller than the number of people who started. Dave was talking about all of the qualities that you need in terms of drive and persistence and discipline and time and energy, plus the ability to write. And most people that aren't writers don't like to write. If you talk to people, they say, oh, you say, oh, I'm a writer. They say, oh, I don't like to write. That's hard. You know, I, I don't like to do that. So sure, anybody can do it if they put their mind to it, but most people don't. I really appreciated that feedback and comment there. And I would like to bring each of you around to a comment on why you think financial independence has to do anything at all with writing a book. Is it related or is it not? And that will be our last final question before we close this out. I think the qualities that you need for writing a book, many of them would be similar to the qualities you need for the long, hard slog that is the journey to financial independence. So persistence, which has been mentioned, drive, determination, self-sacrifice, the ability to make a plan and see it through day after day after day. The belief that small actions, if you read the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, small actions taken day after day after day become routines and get stuff done. So writing a book is by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And financial independence, while it is just an amazing happiness, long-term happiness-inducing pursuit, it's difficult as well. So I think you can definitely draw certain parallels, but I think the fact that there are, certainly in the UK, there are hardly any books out there. In fact, mine is the only one I really know of on financial independence. Probably shows you that, well, they're linked, but one doesn't follow the other. Well, I, I think there are an awful lot of differences, but the one parallel that does come to mind is that people who are pursuing financial independence and writers are willing to uh, dance to a different drummer. They're willing to follow their own path and not just willing, but they're willing to put themselves in a position where they're going to have to work hard and differently from the other people they know. So they're taking a uh, something of a solitary path. There is a financial independence community, but it's a lot smaller than 
what everybody else does. So I think that would be what ties them together is that spirit of uh, independent thinking and the ability to uh, really pursue it. And I think it was you maybe that made the comment earlier that writing a book is not necessarily the best vehicle for creating financial independence. All right, BC, we'll turn it over to you. What is the impact or the correlation between financial independence and writing a book? Is there any? Yes, there's tremendous effect, at least in my world it is. I'm one of those weird people that gets up at 4.45 in the morning and I write for an hour before I exercise and the family gets up about 7, 7.30. But I, up until recently, I only worked one day a week. And the whole reason why I could work one day a week is because we've hit our lean FI and my husband works part-time and uh, it's not out there in social media yet, but it will be now because I'm saying it in the podcast. I quit my job. So I'm taking a sabbatical until after the first of the year. And after that, I plan to take a page out of Doc G's book and I'm just going to be a contract hospice physician. And I have all these things I want to do during my sabbatical. And my goal is just to work one weekend a month and keep my doctor's license active, um, get me out there helping people in the hospice houses, but fulfilling the greater role that I see and feel for myself right now, which is writing. Fantastic. Scott, we'll turn it over to you and give you the last word on the question of what does financial independence have to do with writing a book? Your story and Dave's story are similar in that your actual book are about the very topic of financial independence. What are your thoughts? I think Dave summed it up amazingly. I agree with everything Dr. Wilner said and, and, and BC as well. You know, I don't have too much to add. I would just say that I think it helps to be naturally curious in both regards. If you are naturally curious, that's going to serve you very well on your FI path because you're going to question things, you're going to look for answers. And when you do that on your FI journey, you know, you're definitely going to benefit from that trait. And I think the same with writing. I think if you're naturally curious, that means you're constantly learning. And if you're constantly learning, you may end up one day having something that you want to share with the world that's going to be valuable. So that's what I would correlate with the two. Fantastic. So we'll give you a chance to promote your book, what you're working on, and ask you the question, is there something coming up that you want to share with us? Yeah, everyone can find me at playingwithfire.co. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at playwithfireco. I think playing with fire on Facebook. And and yeah, we'd love to see you. Come stop by, uh, shoot us your email, and we'll, we'll keep everyone updated. But we are very, very close to announcing some really concrete and exciting details about this documentary that we have coming out. We made a documentary over the last two years on the fire movement and also chronicled uh, my wife and I's journey along the way to give everybody sort of a perspective of what it's like to take the leap and hopefully inspire people to do the same. Yeah, we're very, very excited to bring it to the public and and see how it all goes and hopefully just enjoy the ride because, uh, you know, it's been a heck of an undertaking up to now. So I think now it's time to just kind of sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, also wrote a book with the same name, Playing With Fire, How Far Would You Go for Financial Freedom? And uh, that's on Amazon. We did the audiobook as well that we read and uh, Taylor makes an appearance and so does Mr. Money Mustache. So highly recommend it. It's been getting pretty good reviews. We're very happy. Something Dr. Wilner said earlier, I believe, was you know trying to think what book would you write? Like what kind of reviews would you want for the book that you would write? And that's kind of been proving out for us. It's been really wonderful to see that. It's been very rewarding because it seems that the majority of people are just taking it as an inspirational story. Uh, they're saying, oh, okay, I'm not alone in this journey. Uh, other people have similar feelings and issues and uh, trials and tribulations. And that's kind of what we were trying to do. So, and then also try to just give a bit of a package deal on, hey, this is what the fire movement is. This is what it's all about. Here's some few of the people that make up this amazing movement and, and why they're special. And, and hopefully that you can take this framework and make a better life for yourself. So that's what we've got going on. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you for being on here. Andrew, we'll turn it back to you. Where can we find you? What's up next for you? And what's the title of your book? The best place to find me is at my website, www.andrewwilner.com. That's Andrew Wilner, one word. And then there's Facebook and I have some Twitter followers at, at DR Wilner. There's one great thing about a book is that when it's done, it's very uh, satisfying. So I'm, I'm in that phase now where I'm uh, basking a little bit in the uh, satisfaction of having completed a book, working on the marketing phase. And that's kind of fun. That's a whole lot easier than writing the book, that's for sure. And it's a whole lot more fun. And I'm starting to think about my next book. To me, there's a whole, you kind of have to think about an idea and digest it and play with it. It sort of gestates. So I'm in that phase now where I'm thinking, where do I want to put the next two or three years of energy into writing a book? Now that I have this one behind me, which is great, one can move forward. The title of the most recent book is The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenens. And it's written for any physician who may feel uh, a little boxed in or unhappy or dissatisfied and looking at non-clinical careers. In fact, I just did a podcast on non-clinical careers. But I think it's something that all physicians should consider before giving up their medical licenses because that's a one-way street. Once you've left for a non-clinical career, you can't get back. So uh, locums lets you slow down or work part-time or try different things without uh, closing the door behind you. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being on here. We'll turn it over to Dave and ask you, where can we find you? The title of your upcoming book and uh, what's up next for you? My book, just taking a leaf out of Andrew's book, uh-huh. um, it's called uh, Reset, How to Restart Your Life and Get FU Money. It's got a bright yellow cover with a red button on can't miss it. Um, it's aimed at midlife professionals who've perhaps got stuck in a rut and need a plan that will take them about a year and the rest of their life to get mm-hmm. out of it. It's got uh, 98 reviews on Amazon, all good, and it's sold about 3,700 copies in the last six months. Yeah, and it's got plaudits from the likes of Jacob Fisker, Bill Danko, and if there's anyone listening to this in the UK, Monovator, who's a leading investing blogger in the UK. Um, in terms of where you can find me, my company, which I do, you know, I basically have all my blogs on that website, is zudpr.co.uk. That's Z-U-D-E-P-R.co.uk. And you can sign up to my newsletter there if you want to keep in touch. BC, where can we find you and uh, what's up next for you? Well, like I said, the sabbatical and uh, next week sending out my books to agents for the young adult fantasy to try to get that traditionally published and also trying to finish my frugality book for high income earners to help people who are in a high income also join the fire movement. And where is the best place to find you? At my blog at bckrigowski.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at bckrigowski. All right. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Scott Rickens, Dave Sawyer, BC Krigowski, and Andrew Wilner. That's a wrap. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, 
opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group and you can get access by texting the word next to the number 345-345. And all you audience members, get off the internet and go buy a book. Hey, what's up? This is Scott Rickens and this is the what? (laughs) One more time. One more time. We can unmute Dave now. <laughs> Dave, uh, you can, we unmuted you. Dave, I'm sorry, my internet keeps cutting out. Where are you in the UK? Because I'm going to be in London on April 10th in Stratford on Avon. My sister's marrying a British guy, so. Ah, uh, right. Okay, you're coming over then. Yeah. Well, you don't mention Brexit. That's my tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a hot mess. <laughs> he was worried yeah. enough that he wrote me about that the day before. He's like, Just don't mention Brexit. Just don't bring it up. <laughs> All right. This is for Scott. You've created something amazing. Don't sabotage yourself. Okay. okay. So see, this is the next step. See, that's what I'm talking about. You're telling me that I made something amazing. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. I know that's super We haven't seen it and we know it's amazing. It, yeah, exactly. Like understand that that's an insane amount of pressure. It's like, oh, you've, what you've done is amazing. And it's like, no, you don't have no idea yet. You have no idea. No, I've amazing. been excited about it since I heard about it back at FinCon. And I've been, I keep checking the documentary site like, okay, are there any news, any news, any news? And so that's why I'm saying don't sabotage yourself because you've come to this level. So you're going to go to the next level. And this book is going to help you go to the next level. Right on. I'll check that out. Thank you very much. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.